Please, join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, open our hearts to receive your message today. Show us the power of your love, which triumphs over the power of violence. Amen. In the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Hear these words. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. And Joseph got up and took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee, and there he made his home in a town called Nazareth. So what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled he will be called a Nazarene, the word of God for the people of God. You may imagine my excitement when I found out that this was the passage that I was supposed to preach on this Sunday, a uh, overjoyous passage, which uh, you know comes great right after the time of Christmas. This is, this is a hard one, folks. I'm just going to let you know. This was a difficult sermon to write and a little bit difficult to preach. So, but uh, I need to tell you a few stories. Uh, I need to tell you about a story that happened when I was still in Illinois, or still actually in Maryland. I was in Washington, D.C. Did you know that I went to uh, Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary? That was, I told you all. I went to Wesley Theological Seminary for a year before that uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, that was because I lived there with my family, uh, Becca and Emmeline at the time. Clara May was not part of the family yet. Um, so we decided that it would be a really fun experience to, to drive down and to see some of the people at Wesley. Wesley was a really cool community to be a part of. There were a lot of people who were interested in me as a person and my family. And so we decided that seeing some of them would be a lot of fun. And so we put Emmeline in the car, and uh, we drove down, and just to let you know, I asked Emmeline permission to tell the story first, but we were driving down, and uh, it's about half an hour trip or so to Wesley from where I was. So we're driving, and 
as we're going, she kind of looks, uh, I turn around and look at her and she goes, Dad, I don't feel so good. And I went, it's okay, sweetheart. We will be there in 10 minutes. 10 minutes isn't that long of a time. And I kind of reassured her a little bit. And as I was reassuring her, I heard a terrible sound. <laughs> a terrible sound of a small child getting sick. And I won't uh, go into the gory details, but it was not, not pleasant. <laughs> so I pulled over to the side of the road, freaking out. Oh my gosh, my poor kid. Uh, she was just a mess. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I was freaking out. And my wife goes, just get to the school. Just go. You have to go somewhere. Stopping and just freaking out about it is not helping. So I said, fine. And I got in the car. And we just drove the rest of the way. And as we were driving the rest of the way, I gave someone a call, um, someone at school, and was like, look, here's the situation. My child is covered in gross. And so is the car seat. This is not a good situation. I am uh, kind of in a, a world of hurt here. And they were like, look, just sh go, to, uh, go to my apartment. I'll meet you there. Everything's going to be okay. And so we went to uh, my, my buddy Connor had a, a girl he was dating named Alex. And they, we went to their, his apartment, her, or sorry, her apartment. And we just, Becca cleaned the whole thing in their bathtub, the whole car seat. And she gave Emmeline a big oversized shirt and a cup of juice and put on Sesame Street and was just like, just relax, child. Everything is going to be okay. That was, uh, that was a little weird. <laughs> it was a little difficult being a new parent and trying to figure out what do I do in a situation where I just don't know what's going to happen with my kiddo. I was so concerned because I had no idea whatsoever what I was going to do. We found that place that place that let us make it so that we could go home again once the mess was cleaned up. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine what that trip would be like uh, if we weren't doing it in a car, if we were instead doing it on camelback. <laughs> Actual camelback, not that fancy little thing that goes on your back and you drink from it. No. If you were to take that journey with a two-year-old and go from on camel from Bethlehem to Egypt. This is what Joseph and Mary had to do. We had it nowhere near as difficult. Now, Bethlehem and Egypt right now are pretty far away from each other. It's like around 428 miles when you convert from kilometers. But the ancient Near East, which is a fancy theological way of saying in Bible times, it turns out that Egypt was only a few days' journey away, just like two, maybe three. But have you all ever spent two, maybe three days in a car with a two-year-old? Because, yeah, it's a joy, isn't it? <laughs> I cannot imagine what that would be like on Camelback and having to stop and take care of all of those necessities and... I've never been on a journey on camelback, so it would be fun. Mary and Joseph not only carried a baby with them, they were running from something. So now, before I get any deeper into this, y'all, here's the warning again. This wasn't an easy sermon to write, and it's a little, little uncomfortable. But hey, God never called us to comfort, right? A little context on this Bible passage so Matthew is a gospel writer who is interested in writing to a Jewish 
audience. These are people who have read through the entirety of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. These are people who know prophecies. Now, generally, everyone in Jewish culture knew the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. The rest of the Bible is called the Neteim and the Ketubim. Those are fun Hebrew words that mean uh, the law and the prophets and the history. Now, the prophets are where a lot of this fun stuff in the Bible passage talks about. There are two times that this Bible passage brings up prophecies. That's because the author of this book is really interested in saying, hey, check it out. This stuff that's happening has happened before. The stuff that's happening has happened before. Prophecies are not necessarily a way just to tell the future. They're a way to help us understand the world in which we are a part of today. Now, Herod, the king, uh, not a really good guy. From history, what we know about Herod is that Herod's a little bit of a ruthless tyrant, but also extremely clever. Herod held on to Herod's power very well. Uh, in fact, doing so by killing six of his own children to make sure that he maintained the throne. He's a ruthless human being. Now, Joseph gets warned, hey, this ruthless man is coming for your kid. You need to get out. And Joseph, hearing this in a dream, has no second thoughts and runs to Egypt. Now, let me tell you a little something about Egypt, or maybe you know a little something about Egypt. Uh, if you are a Jewish audience at the time, what is it that you know about Egypt? That's the place that y'all have been trying to get away from for a really long time. That is not a place that you ever want to go back to. Egypt is where the Israelites were slaves for years and years, and Moses brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so the irony of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph finding Egypt as a place of refuge, that would be very obvious to a Jewish audience. So we suddenly have this familiar biblical narrative. There's an incoming tragedy, and people flee from this tragedy. And during the fleeing, violence is perpetrated. In the middle of passages like this, we are left with a lot of questions. Where is God when all this is happening? Why is this story even in the Bible? Why would God let this happen? These are all good questions. And the reality is I'm not entirely sure of all the answers. Here's what I do know. I do know that God doesn't force Herod to do this. I do know that sometimes prophecies of old are fulfilled again and again in different ways and that a cycle of violence and weeping are not limited to the ancient Near East. And I do know that in this passage, God does speak to rescue Jesus upon whom the salvation of the entire world 
rests. The story is hard for me to hear. I'll tell you that the difficulty ends only in the hearing. I've never had to feel the pain of taking my children away from a violent situation and bringing them to a place of refuge. You know what people who are fleeing from violence are called? They're called refugees. Jesus was a refugee. I told y'all this is going to be an uncomfortable one. I realized that in South Texas, talking about Jesus as a refugee might rustle a few jimmies. But I'm not making this up, friends. Little two-year-old Jesus had to leave his birth city behind because a king obsessed with power and control used his rule to wipe out a small part of a generation of baby boys. All this seems so far from here. Egypt, Bethlehem, Nazareth. But, y'all, whoever says the Bible isn't relevant isn't looking hard enough. And whoever wants to completely spiritualize it and ignore the reality of the world in front of us, in front of us is missing the point. Because of this passage and because of our faith, we as Christians need to come face to face with the reality that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph's story is being told again today in countless faces of the refugees in our world. In this same book, Matthew, but this time in chapter 25, Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, my siblings, you do that for me. When we look at the faces of those who are running from violence and seeking a place of refuge and sanctuary, we are called to see the face of Jesus. We are called to see the face of Jesus in the woman who is fleeing from her home because of domestic violence. We're called to see the face of Jesus in the Syrian who left their house as a pile of rubble and sought refuge from the devastating violence of war. We are called to see the face of Jesus in the child who seeks a place of safety from the bullies who call her names and hurt her with their words. We're called to see the face of Jesus on the families of migrants who are traveling in caravans to escape violence brought on by gang activity. We're called to see the face of Jesus and the teenager who seeks to enact violence against themselves because they don't feel valued anymore. We're called to see the face of Jesus in the story of a woman who had a baby with a guy who she's not exactly married to and needs a place to stay safe and warm because she was kicked out of her home. We're called to see the face of Jesus in the refugee. But why? Why? Why are we called to do that? That's hard. That sucks. That's not fair. You're right. Y'all, it's not fair. It's unnecessary suffering. It's an unbroken cycle of violence in which we didn't have a part. But I think that we as Christians, that we as people, do a fairly poor job of suffering alongside those who are put in a dire place unfairly. The sense of justice that we often have can be tainted with our sense of morality. Look, if we didn't do anything wrong, then we'll be fine and bad things won't happen to us. And that goes for you too. 
If you just do everything right, you'll be fine. But that's absolutely not true. That's not biblical. That is a thing. You know what that's called? It's called karma. But we don't believe in karma. We believe in a God who came down to earth as a baby to give hope and joy to the world whose morality had nothing to do with the fact that he was on the run and eventually died on the cross as an ultimate show of injustice in an unfair trial and murder. It's not fair. It's not right. But this God suffers alongside the hurting, the broken, the lost, and the refugee. And we as God's people are called to be like that suffering God and hurt alongside them as well. Because that suffering leads to action. Instead of turning a blind eye to the crises in our midst, maybe we will begin to see when God is on the run. When I was on my way to Wesley, I knew I could find somewhere safe. But what if I had been headed somewhere unknown? What if I didn't know I was going to be greeted with a smile and a place of refuge, even though I looked and smelled really gross? What if Jesus, Mary, and Joseph weren't met with hospitality, but instead with judgment? due to having a child outside of wedlock? What if Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, instead of being welcomed into Egypt, were met with a wall? I'm not sure I would be up here preaching a gospel of hope and good news. But instead, because Egypt took in an Israelite family fleeing violence, I get to tell you the good news. And the good news is this, that God is moving with us. God is with us when we are on the run, and God is with those who are running. God is suffering with the sufferers and giving spaces of refuge to those who seek it. So the question you have to ask yourself is this. Am I going to be Egypt? Do I see the suffering brought on by violence and welcome Jesus in? Do I show empathy? Or am I going to be Rome? Do I ignore or inspire violence and chase Jesus out. I hope you'll choose to see Jesus in these crises and offer hospitality to those in need of refuge. You might think this, oh, I'm not going to find someone who's in need like that. Come on, we're in Lake Jackson. How much of that happens around here? But hey, Lake Jackson isn't that big of a town. I'm sure there are some examples of people who are suffering from domestic violence. I'm sure there are people who are experiencing bullying and need somewhere to find refuge. I'm sure that there are people who are in danger of perpetrating violence on themselves. Or who knows? Maybe you feel moved to participate in a more global way. And there are some next steps in your bulletin that can help you show how we can deal with and interact with the refugee crisis in our world. I'll leave you with this. There was a hymn, there was a hymn written by a pastor, a United Methodist pastor named Dan Damon, and he penned these words. When Jesus was a refugee, Egypt took him in, 
gave him safety from King Herod and shelter from the wind. When Jesus was a refugee, he lived among the poor. I see him then, I see him now. He's knocking at my door. For Jesus is a refugee. And if I take him in, I see the suffering through his eyes and learn to be like him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.